2: Welcome to a new week. I keep saying that and then it's the end of the week and time just keeps flying. But thanks for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you're listening to the Word to Stand on for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions. Or maybe you're just going through something really difficult. The Bible has the answers, and we'll do the best that we can to find those answers for you. Let me start with the phone numbers to call, 340-9585. That's 340-9585. you can also call us toll free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically that's 630-5757. You can email your questions to us by emailing questions at Or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way for you to call is using the free KSLR mobile app, hands free. Just push the call now button and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. 340-9585. There's a lot going on uh, here at Calvary Chapel. And I'll be during this Christmas season be bringing some of that up I'll start today uh, because it's Monday of course we've got our men's and women's and youth Bible studies Uh, Nancy Jones will be teaching the ladies tonight Pastor Ken the men and then we have high school age and junior high school uh, Bible studies going on at the same time just in different parts of the building so uh, child care is provided of course it'd be a great opportunity to Uh, Here, ladies, you can watch live on stream, calvaryessay.com, if you are so inclined to do so. Um, Two things come in. December 15th is our kids' Christmas play at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. I promise you, you will be blessed. It starts at 6.30 in the evening. We'll be bringing that up this week and next on a daily basis. Uh, You will be blessed. What a great way to spend your Friday night. We have kids uh, from all of the age groups in the church uh, who are participating, so it's always a neat thing. But what I really want to remind you of, and we'll be doing this daily as well, December 17th, that's a Sunday afternoon, starting at 4 o'clock, will be our annual church Christmas dinner. Now, when I say church Christmas dinner, there'll be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people there from our church, but we also want to invite you. You don't have to bring anything. You don't have to pay anything. It's free. It's just a wonderful time of fellowship and food. Uh, People always get saved. If you come, invite somebody who isn't saved Uh, with the ministry that goes on behind the scenes. There's always um, people that give their heart to Jesus, and we'd love for you to be able to do that. Uh, If you are in the radio audience and and, uh, Calvary Chapel is not your church home, that's fine, but we'd love to meet you face-to-face. I've got the opportunity in the last few Sundays, in fact, to meet so many of you who've stopped by and visited the church Uh, And we're really, really grateful for that. It's always nice to, to, uh, to know that somebody's listening. It's nice to know that we're a blessing to some of you, but you are a blessing to us as well. So December 15th, our Kids' Christmas Play at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. And December 17th is our annual Christmas dinner. When I say hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, that's no exaggeration. Lots and lots of people are going to be there. It's going to be at the Shirts Civic Center, uh, not too far from here in Shirts, Texas. So we'd love to have you. One other comment, and I just want to make this personal to Michael. Michael, I got your very, very kind email. Thank you very much. Um, what a blessing. Just thank you for being so kind. Okay, let's go to questions that have been sent in. The first question comes from Diane. And she says, my kids like listening to secular music. Should I forbid them, or is it okay? Uh, Dane, there's nothing wrong with secular music. No, I I don't think any Christian kid ought to be listening to filth, and you have to be really, really careful what's out there. Uh, Lyrics matter. Content matters. But other than that, some of the best music ever written, in fact, most of the best music ever written is secular music. Um, the person who drives me home from this program most days uh, has classical music going on all the time uh, in the car when we get in, and and now Christmas music. So, yeah, there's nothing wrong with secular music. Uh, if anybody tells you from a legalistic perspective that you shouldn't have uh, anything other than Christian music, just don't pay them any attention at all. Again, protect your children from those things that are uh, um, gross, gross. Uh, Wicked. We we don't want any of that, of course, but um, there's a lot of secular music that's just fine to listen to, and uh, and they should. So I hope that makes life easier for you and for your children. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I've been asked to comment. I, I, I wanted to do this before the program started, or before I got into the questions, and I just forgot. I wrote myself a note to remember and didn't look down at my note. Uh, I've been asked to comment by a couple of people uh, in the audience um, from uh, about all of the, oh, what do you call it, the cases of sexual harassment or sexual assault that are permeating um, the news cycle these days, um, these rich and famous men who are falling like flies, evidently. You know, here's the only thing I really have to say, I think, uh, that, that has any value. Um, you know, men, um, and some women, but, but largely men, um, if we're not with Jesus, we're controlled by our sex drive, by lust. And when you combine that lust with power, men in positions of power, there 's always going to be men who take advantage of women 's whether it 's a uh, Matt Lauer or Harvey Weinstein or Garrison Keeler for crying out loud, uh, a great storyteller um, um, Judge Roy Moore, all these people that are being accused of these things, many of which happened decades and decades ago. I think the lesson that we Christians have to take from this is a pretty straightforward one. The Bible talks about. Our sin, nothing will be hidden from God. Our sin will find you out, Moses told the two and a half tribes that want to stay on the wrong side of the Jordan River. If you don't fight your sin, we'll find you out. Well, I think we need to be aware that we live in a time where everything that we say is public. Everything that we type, every email is public domain now. And it's just impossible to get away with anything. Paul and I were talking last week, you know, there's no place that you can go where you're not on camera. And you may try to fool yourself and think everything is going to be okay. Nobody's going to find out. But the truth is, there's two dynamics. One, we live in a world that is very public, we're very exposed, but for Christians... There's another force at work behind the scenes. God is going to be the one to make sure that you're exposed. It's not good for us to get away with him. Now, we shouldn't do these kind of things. I want to be very clear. There is never a reason for a man to sexually harass or assault a woman. We should treat women in the workplace. We should treat women in our homes, in our neighborhoods. We should treat women everywhere with the utmost respect and the kindness and love that comes from somebody who knows Jesus Christ. That's just the way it should be. We shouldn't look at them as sex objects. We shouldn't look at them as objects of fantasy. Instead, we should look at them as daughters of God, as the bride of Christ, and we men, we need to be like Jesus. You know, the truth is, we can control our lust. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. I've said that many times on this program. We don't have to give in to sexual temptation. But it's also true, equally true, that we never, ever, ever have the right to make somebody else's life painful. Not ever. And when we get punch drunk with power we do it just because we can. And here's what I know, there's been a lot of careers and a lot of families broken already because of foolish behavior. And it's only going to be get worse, more are going to fall. We think we're cute men. We think it's funny. But when you're hurting somebody for whom Christ died, When you're causing pain, when you're treating a woman as something less than God's daughter, it is a grievous sin. And since I'm talking primarily to Christians in this radio audience, not exclusively, of course, but primarily, these are the kind of things that we should never make excuses for. And a lot of times, consequences are designed by God to get people's attention. So here's what we should do. Those that we have seen fall, whether it's Senator Al Franken or Congressman Barton or any of the others that have been in the news, we need to pray for them. Have compassion, but understand that they earned the pain that they're living right now. The families they betrayed didn't. The victims of the assault, and the families of those victims didn't do anything to deserve it. We live in a fishbowl now, and we have to be careful with our communication. We have to be loving and kind with our communication, but it is the height of arrogance to think that you're going to get away with something, when God is going to make sure that eventually you get busted. So, really, that's all I have of of any value. It's just sort of a Christian perspective on these sins, and they are sins. We need to care about the victims. Don't re-victimize the victims. Let your heart be in the right place. So, I hope that satisfies those of you who asked me to do that. Here is a question from Kent. Uh, This is really an interesting question because I saw uh, uh, the same story or or a similar story. Uh, Kent says, I saw in the news that President Trump is about to move the American embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. Should Christians support Jerusalem, not Tel Aviv, as the capital of Israel? And then he says it will cause a lot of trouble. Kent, it will cause more trouble worldwide than you can imagine, and yet, of course, we should support it. Now, whatever your feelings are about President Trump, and boy, are they ever varied feelings, this is a move that every Christian ought to applaud. Because here's a man who doesn't know Jesus. Obviously, he knows about him, but he doesn't know Jesus. And he's taking a biblical stand. And as long as this country has him as the president we're going to be pro-israel will it cause a lot of trouble you bet it will it will cause more trouble than i can possibly communicate but this is the right move and while i can't say with any definition that this is going to set the stage for jesus's return believe me it's getting closer and closer and closer jerusalem is the city of david it's not the city of islam It's a city of David. It's owned by God. It was given by God to his people, the Jews. And while the world all around Israel wants them out, God is going to ensure that they're in the homeland that he promised them. And they're not going anywhere. But Jerusalem is and always will be the capital of Israel. And for us to recognize it is a bold step, one which I applaud. And yet, at the same time, we who are believers ought to be in prayer constantly, praying for the return of Jesus. So uh, it's, it's going to be a difficult situation, Kent. And um, the world is going to come at President Trump with everything they have. Remember, the devil hates Israel, and um, he, the devil hates anything that we as the United States do to protect Israel or to further the cause of Israel, and this is going to do both of those things. So can't, uh, that's the best I can do. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. The week is starting a little slow on the phone, but we'd love your calls. Here's a heartbreaking one. This is the one, by the way, that I started to answer on Friday and my heart just wasn't in it. I, I was, we We're having a good program and I was a little discouraged when I saw this question. So I said, I don't want to do it today. Well, I'll do it now. It's anonymous. It says, how can I recover from my pastor getting caught in an affair? I'm so hurt and disappointed. Anonymous, these are times when I feel like falling on my face and repenting on behalf of all Christians and More specifically, all pastors. When God gives us the privilege and the honor of calling us as a pastor, he's giving us the opportunity to represent him, to teach his word, to love and pray for his people, not to pray on his people. And this is the kind of betrayal that is very, very difficult to get over. My heart hurts with yours. But all I can do is point you to Jesus. Jesus didn't do this to you. Your pastor did. I actually talk about this with my church a lot because uh, I want to keep this hurt fresh in my mind. I can't imagine getting caught doing something sinful and having to step down from this blessing of being the pastor of Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. I can't imagine standing up and looking in the faces of people I've known most of their lives, looking at the kids that come in and hug me and every day or come in and pray for this radio program just before 4 o'clock every day. And I can't imagine trying to explain to them why I can no longer be their pastor. Now, if I get old and die, that's one thing. But to do this to people who've been listening to me teach the Bible, talking about holiness just yesterday in the message... We talked about how offering our bodies to God as living sacrifices means necessarily that we've got to pursue personal holiness, that we've got to care about the things that Jesus cares about. Now, how can I communicate that message for all these years and then one day have to stand up before him and say, well, I didn't practice what I preached and so I can no longer be your pastor? So let me suggest two ways that you can recover. One, look at Jesus, look to Jesus. He didn't do this. It wasn't his failure. It was a man's failure. The second thing you can do, I'm going to say three things. The second thing you can do is don't let it preoccupy your time and don't let it preoccupy the conversations that you're around in church. When you go to your church, Jesus is front and center. Jesus is the focus of your attention your thoughts your conversation if somebody wants to bring up this painful ugly subject just say you know what I don't feel like talking about that right now I want to focus on Jesus and in so doing anonymous you can help others to keep them from stumbling the third thing you can do is pray for your former pastor I can tell you from my own experience with friends who have fallen this way. That every Sunday the devil will be attacking viciously without mercy this pastor and his family. Pray for his wife who no longer is a pastor's wife. You guys get to hear Paula every Thursday on this program. Can you imagine me having to tell her she can no longer be pastor's wife? I mean, this is her family. These are the people that she loves and they love her. And suddenly we've got to go because I blew it. So pray for your pastor. Pray for his wife. Pray for their family, their children. Pray for the victim. who he had the affair with, the victim because this is crossing a line that should never be crossed for a pastor. When we enter into a relationship with people as a pastor, we're promising to take care of them, to love them, to guard them, not to devour them. And especially in many cases, it's women who are having marriage problems in their own homes, or other women who may be single, but at the same time just thinking how spiritual it would be to be married to a pastor. And when a pastor in a position of spiritual authority over them, prays upon them, the damage is sometimes permanent. Now, they're guilty as well. I'm not trying to indicate that they're not. But the man in a position of authority always has the upper hand. And if he uses that upper hand to manipulate, well, shame on him. Shame on him. You didn't ask this anonymous, but let me just say one other thing. I don't think any man who is a pastor who cheats on his wife and especially with somebody in the church should ever pastor again doesn't mean that God can't use them again, but I think that is crossing a line that disqualifies them permanently from ministry. Now, we live in a church culture where people sin, they cry, I'm sorry, and then two months later they want to be back in the pulpit. I think if we cross that line, we should never, ever be back in the pulpit. God forbid, should that ever happen to me, I want everybody in this listening audience to hold me accountable. So pray for him anonymous and focus on Jesus. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Jeffrey wants to know why did Jesus betray, I'm sorry, why did Judas betray Jesus if he knew that Jesus was God? Jeffrey, he betrayed Jesus because his plan, his agenda, and Jesus's were different. Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. Judas wanted Jesus to rule and reign, to restore Israel to its glory, to free them from Roman rule. He wanted to be, Judas did, somebody important. You remember the disciples were always arguing, sort of behind Jesus' back, but he always knew they were doing it. They were always arguing about, well, when he leaves, who's going to be the greatest? Peter, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? No, 70 times seven. That's exactly the context of the argument they were having. Well, Judas wanted to be the most important one. He wanted to be in power. He wanted wealth, position, authority. And when Jesus finally convinced all of them that he was going to die, that was just too much for Judas. Truth is, every one of us, we deny Jesus. We put our agenda ahead of his. Well, Judas went all the way. The enemy, the devil, entered him. And he betrayed the Lord. And he's paid for it in eternity. But make no mistake, Jeffrey, he did know Jesus was God. Think about this. Judas did miracles. I have this picture in my mind about Judas. You know, uh, the, Jesus sent him out at one point in pairs, two by two. And he said he'd give you authority over demons to heal the sick. Marvelous things at their own hand. Now, we don't know who went with Judas. But one of the other 11 went with Judas. They saw what he did. Judas himself touched people and they were healed. He cast demons out of others. So he knew who Jesus was. He knew the power he was betraying. But it didn't matter. He was more interested in him. We know that Peter and John from their epistles, their lives were never the same after this. They they, they never got over the fact that they didn't know it was Judas. How could Judas have been the one? The question from Anonymous earlier about a pastor betraying him. Peter And John had to deal with that very issue. How did we not know? So Judas betrayed him, though he knew who he was. And he betrayed him for the same reason that we often do. Because we want what we want, instead of wanting what he wants. You know, it's true, Jeffrey, that Lucifer, God's most beautiful creation betrayed God as well. No wonder why he, the devil, entered into Judas. Yesterday here at Calvary Chapel was Communion Sunday. And I always say Communion Sunday is a family celebration. You know, the first part of it when Jesus took the bread and broke it, he said, this is my body broken for you. Judas was still there. Then he said, I tell you the truth, one of you sitting here is going to betray me this very night. Is it I, Lord, they asked. Well, Jesus pointed to Judas. And as soon as he did, he said, what you do, do quickly. And he had to leave before the cup was shared. He did it because he wanted to. Jeffrey, thanks a lot. Uh, 340-9585. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585. Or toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back on the other side of the break. See you in two minutes.
1: to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh
2: welcome back to the second half of the monday program uh Phones have been quiet. You know, I just it just dawned on me that this always happens around Christmas time. So uh, let's try to get through Christmas with lots and lots of phone calls. The show's a lot more interesting when you're involved. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls. Here's a question for Ben that every one of us in this audience, including this pastor, is going to say, you're not alone, Ben. Ben says, I know I should be patient, but it's very difficult for me. Do you have any tips? been the hardest thing in my life is being patient but you see god is faithful to teach us patience he sort of foists it on us because it's such a necessary part of our walk with the lord most of us me included when god speaks to our heart we're ready to go right now let's do something um but god has to teach us patience Often that's why he sends trials into our life to teach us patience so that we can wait on him. Ben, what I know for sure is that it is as hard as it is to be patient it's much more difficult if you find yourself ahead of God. So it's just something you have to discipline yourself to do. Wait on the Lord. Don't take matters into your own hands. so often in our impatience or our frustration, we, we try to solve our own problems, find our own paths, instead of waiting for the one that God has laid out. And I want you to think about something. Moses spent 80 years in two separate wildernesses. And he was used by God. 80 years. He gets through one wilderness... In Midian, and it turns out that's just training for another wilderness with three million people with him the next time. I always think of the Apostle Paul. Now, we know Paul was not a patient man. We know as he was chasing Christians that he was focused, he was obsessed. But then he met Jesus. What did Jesus do? He sent him out to the Arabian wilderness for three years. Why? He had to teach him patience. He had to instruct him. Paul wasn't ready for his ministry to the Gentiles yet. So it's just something we've got to discipline ourselves to do. Do I have any tips? Yeah, just be with Jesus. It's the only way it works. You've got to learn to say yes to him, which means you have to say no to you. And when you find yourself impatient, understand that that's the place the enemy is going to try to to pounce. He's going to take advantage of because he wants you out of God's perfect will. By the way, this coming Sunday, we're going to be talking from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I'm going to do just one verse again this week. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know the good, the perfect, and acceptable will of God. Well, when we jump out ahead of God, Ben, We're not going to be in his perfect will at all. So patience is something that God will be faithful to teach us. All we can do is sort of tuck in behind Jesus and walk with him every day. And the only way that makes any sense at all to us, to our flesh especially, is that if we've agreed that being with Jesus is the best thing, even if we're patiently waiting for vision, for Fulfilled promises, for answers to prayers, whatever it is we're we're waiting for. We're better to be with Jesus patiently than be impatient on our own. One of my favorite psalms, Psalm eighty-four, where David said, "Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere." You know, all David ever wanted was to be near God, and every time he got impatient or in his flesh it caused him to be separated from the place where God was for longer and longer so Ben there's no easy way there's no quick tip just learn to wait on Jesus you'll never regret that you did 340-9585 Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here's a question that just came in from our mobile app anonymously. Are angels individually assigned to each person? I recently had a family member tell me he prays for his angel to help him. I never gave a thought to angels. Good for you, by the way. That's my comment. The scriptures I've looked at has not supported this idea. Please share your thoughts. Anonymous, this has been a debate literally throughout the history of the church. Um, in Luke chapter 16 when uh, Lazarus and the rich men die, it's their angel um, took them into the place of, of either paradise or torment and that's led a lot of people to speculate that we all have our own guardian angels. Um, I don't necessarily uh, subscribe to that myself, but, but I can't say that it's wrong, but with regard to your family member telling you that he prays for his angel to help him, um, that is an affront to Jesus. Uh, we pray to God we don't pray to an angel you know what the angels we're told in Hebrews are ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation and they're the ones who are looking at Jesus the angels waiting for instructions and I think we've been helped by angels more than we know but, but the angel doesn't get the glory Jesus gets the glory and only Jesus gets the glory So when Jesus sends an angel to rescue you or to help you, um, the angel is just an obedient servant. So it's really, really wrong to pray for your angel to help you. So uh, it's, it's kind of sketchy whether or not we each have our own individual angel or guardian angel, but here's what I know, that Jesus has an infinite number of angels, and if we need help, Uh, Jesus will send them to us. So let's keep our priorities in the right place. I hope that helps, Anonymous. Thank you very much for sending the question. Here is a question from Leslie. Leslie says, I don't understand why John the Baptist attracted such large crowds when he began his ministry. Um, uh, Perceptive question, Leslie. You know, the Bible says the whole countryside went out to hear him. Well, the reason John the Baptist was such an attraction was because the people in Israel knew that God was speaking again. Now think about this, Leslie. God hadn't spoken to Israel for 400 years. Not a prophetic word. No one was sent with encouragement or comfort. For 400 years, from Malachi to John the Baptist entering the scene, there was a complete shutdown of communication between God and his people Israel. So when word starts to spread that John the Baptist is out and people are going out to hear him and there would be such excitement, go find out who he is, is he the Messiah? Um, um, the excitement was because God was speaking again. Now all I can do is give you sort of a, a small picture of this, but, but most of us of Christians, we've gone through those periods of time where it seemed like God wasn't speaking to us. I remember one time I did something... This is a very young Christian. I did something willfully disobedient. I did it because I was in trouble. I did it because I was being pressured to do it by others, uh, other Christians, I might add. And the minute I did it, I was relieved because the trouble was gone. But the minute I did it, I knew it was the wrong thing. And I remember that very night, I started to pray, and there was nothing And for two weeks, I still refer to this as the darkest two weeks of my life. For two weeks, it was like God didn't exist. I was so depressed. I was so... I felt disqualified. No matter how loudly I cried out to God, there was nothing. I opened the Bible, and there was nothing. And it got to the point where... I could read the letters and they didn't mean anything to me at all. And I even stopped trying to read for those two weeks. And for two weeks, I didn't hear a word. Believe me, when God started speaking to me again, I was the most excited man in California at that moment. Well, that's what it was like for Israel. Israel made God all made, uh, um, had all these great promises that God made them. And God, had appeared, had abandoned them for 400 years. And then suddenly the word would begin to filter everywhere that there is a prophet at the Jordan. God is speaking to us again, and everybody went. So that's why there's nothing spectacular about his message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Certainly wasn't a sermon that you want to go listen to and time and time again. And yet the people couldn't stay away. By the way, it's not hyperbole when your Bible says the whole countryside went out to hear him. They were curious and they were excited. And I'll add they were hopeful for the first time in over 400 years. They were hopeful that God was again coming to his people. That's why many of them thought that he was the Christ. So, Leslie, that's the reason that it makes sense to us. Here is a question from Jason. What happened to Mary after Jesus' death? Uh, Jason, we don't really know for sure. Um, There's no uh, inspired text that deals with it. Uh, After the book of Acts, she sort of falls away. We we know that on the cross, Jesus looked at the disciple he loved, John, and said, uh, here is your mother. And then he looked at his mother and said, woman, here is your son. And, and John knew that Jesus was giving responsibility to care for his mother to him. Um, we have tradition, church traditions, and some uninspired documents that those traditions are derived from. Uh, as best we can figure, um, Jason, uh, she stayed with John for 11 years, um, and then she died. Um, she lived as John's son. Uh, he took care of her, and imagine what an honor it was for John to be asked by Jesus to take care of his mother. Um, after she died, John's ministry expanded into the area of what's now we call Turkey, Asia Minor, into Ephesus. Uh, there's some speculation that maybe uh, the last year of her life or so that that uh, she was in Ephesus with uh, with Paul and with young Timothy, but, but that seems a little less likely. All we know for sure is that uh, um, the Bible remains silent on that matter. Uh, we know that she died. There was no um, miraculous ascension into heaven. Um, she died. She is perhaps the most honored of all women, um, but, but she was a woman. She was a human, a sinner. We don't know what happened to her other children. So we're kind of left in the dark about some things. And it's almost like Mary's saying, you don't need to hear about me now. You need to hear about Jesus. Not her son, by the way. After Jesus' death and resurrection, she never would have thought of Jesus as her son. She knew that Jesus was her Lord and Savior. So I hope that helps, Jason. Thanks for the question. 340-9585. For your live calls and questions, here is a question from Harris. Should Christians tithe off money they received in settlements or inheritances? Oh, Harris. Um, No, because we shouldn't tithe at all. A tithe, as you know, is a tenth. That is not a New Testament commandment. It is a law pertaining to Israel. However, we should freely from love and gratitude honor God with the increase all of our increase now here's the thing and I've said this so many times in this program I I think people don't listen anymore Um, God owns all of our money not just 10% of it if under the law Jews were required to give a tenth a law that couldn't help us a law that only condemned us how much more should we who are New Testament Christians under God's glorious grace give why are we stuck at a tenth because it's easy it's like we can say Jesus you get 10 cents I get 90 cents When in reality, what we ought to be saying is, Jesus, it's all yours. How much do you want me to keep? And what do you want me to do with the part that's yours? He'll let you keep most of your stuff. But he wants us to teach. You know from inheritances or money received in the settlement, that's an increase. You should give with a cheerful heart, for God loves a cheerful giver. We should give because God emptied the bank of heaven for us. And so what we need to do, Harris, is give God everything and follow his orders. That's what being a good steward of God's money is. So if you're stuck in tithing, you're getting ripped off. If giving is a have-to instead of a get-to, you're getting ripped off. My message yesterday, Harris, in church was from Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Where Paul says, uh, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in, in, in light of everything God has done, here's what he says, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is our spiritual act of worship, the NIV says, the King James says, this is your reasonable service. And in this whole idea of offering our bodies to the Lord, heart, soul, strength, mind, spirit, everything, we have to decide how much of us God owns. Now, we know what the Bible says. He owns all of us. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. He owns us by virtue of creating mankind, but he also owns us because he purchased us out of our sin. And so if we have anything, our time, our talent, our treasure, it all belongs to God. And most of us as Christians, we're stingy with those things. Our time is ours. We get up in the morning. If we have enough time, we give it to God. We open the Bible. We say a little prayer. Then we leave Jesus home. We go out to work. Why are we unwilling to give God our best? When our minds are alert, when our bodies are strong, when we're awake. Isn't that when we should open the Bible and hear from the Lord? Isn't that when we should take a walk with Jesus and talk to him and listen for him? I know we have to get up early and go to work. Well, then get up earlier and spend time with Jesus. But not only that, let Jesus go to work with you. Wherever you're going, it's going to be better with him there. That's how you give him your time. You don't wait to get home and hope you're not too tired to fall asleep praying. give him everything your talent your gifts your ability to make money at work your treasure your money I told the church yesterday in our Bible study Harris that all you have to do to see where your heart really is Jesus wherever your heart is that's or your treasure is that's where your heart is you want to see where your heart is look how you spend your money I promise you God's going to let you keep most of your money he doesn't need it But he wants your heart. Rich young ruler walked away sad because Jesus told him what he needed to do. Sell everything, give to the poor. He walked away sad because he had a lot. And yet he was sad because though he had a lot, he really had nothing when he walked away from Jesus. So uh, to answer your question, your increase, um, you should give free will love offerings to God, remembering it's his money. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Janet from our mobile app. Please explain take every thought captive. What does that process look like? Thank you. Janet, um, it's, it's a process that goes on all day, every day. When Paul says to take every thought captive, he concludes that by saying by making it the thought obedient to Christ. So if we get a a temptation, uh, let's say an ugly thought comes into your mind, uh, 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 an ugly thought towards somebody else, an ugly thought um, that comes from the devil, you know, tempting you to to do something you shouldn't do. By taking that thought captive, it means that we're going to take that thought away from the power of the devil and away from our flesh and the temptation that it provides, and instead what we're going to do is we're going to take that thought captive and Use it to bring God glory. And the way we do that is by saying no. Now, I find I have to do this a lot of times every day. The enemy just pounds me. I have nightmares and horrible stuff at night. And I wake up in the middle of the night and I just say, No, Lord, I don't want my mind to go those places. My mind belongs to you. And if we'll understand that, then we're in this process all day of sort of, Saying no to our flesh, saying no to an enemy, and saying yes to Jesus. Here's an example. If somebody's hurt you and God is asking you to forgive them, and the thought comes, well, why should you forgive them? You didn't do anything wrong. They hurt you. They should say they're sorry. The way to take that thought captive, Janet, is to say, Lord, I know that's my flesh or it's an enemy. And I know you love this person. And so I choose to love them by your power. I choose to forgive them because that's what you did for me. And I'm going to take this ugly thought and turn it into a pretty thought, a beautiful thought. And you do that all day, every day. We men, we walk by an attractive woman and devil's right there bringing these ugly thoughts. We remember the Bible says treat... Women like sisters or daughters. and With those ugly thoughts going through our mind, that's the last thing we're thinking about. So we take it obedient and say, no, we're not going to do that because that doesn't bring you on or you love that girl or you love that woman, Jesus. And you pray for her to be in heaven, pray for her to get saved if she's not. But it's a process, Janet, that goes on every single day, all day long it's just not going to change. As long as there's flesh and as long as there's an enemy, it's why the Apostle Paul said, what I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. So that's the only way that you can do it. That's a good lead in. I think we're inside of three minutes now. Uh, so to the last question, it's an anonymous question. Uh, how can I forgive someone who's hurt me deeply? Uh, anonymous, take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. It's just that simple, and the only way you can do it is to remember that what you did to God is far worse than what anybody's done to you. Before you got saved, while Jesus was on that cross, He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, in my life, I was such a wicked man before I got saved, it's easy for me to remember who I was. And I can honestly say this, Anonymous, and I hope this doesn't pour salt into the wounds, but... Um, God has given me the gift of forgiveness. I I honestly can forgive anybody of anything. And there isn't a single person in my life that I haven't forgiven. I say that with a clear conscience. Now, there are people that have hurt me deeply, of course. But I still want God's best for them. I want them in heaven. And the the only way that I could get to that place was the people who really, really hurt me are the people that I had to pray the most for. So when someone who has betrayed you, somebody who once was a friend and no longer is, or maybe they just did something so wicked that you can't stop thinking about it. You've got to begin praying for them. And I mean pray for them daily, and as long as whenever the thought comes that you don't like them or you hate them again or I'll never forgive them again, pray for them again. And be honest with the Lord who knows your heart anyway, and just say, look, I'm doing this, Jesus, because I don't want to hold on to unforgiveness. I want to be like you. And pretty soon, if every time they come to heart and mind, you're going to pray for them, the enemy's going to stop with that mode of attack. Pretty soon, he's going to try to find some other way to trip you up because he doesn't want to see you turn his temptations into prayer opportunities. And here's what I can promise you, Anonymous. When you start praying for people, your heart will change. Even if at first you have to pray through clenched teeth, Bless him, Jesus. The more you pray for him, the more your heart will change. That's just a supernatural fact of, of life when you're walking with Jesus. As we spend more time with him, we become more like him. We remember that he loves them. He's crazy about them. It used to drive me nuts, anonymous, that the people that would cause me the most pain were people Jesus loved as much as he loved me. My first response was, how could you love them, Lord, after what they did? but the Lord will always turn that back on me. Well, what about what you did to me? And I forgave you, and I love you. And you don't have to hear that very often before you start to really understand his heart. But please don't be bound by unforgiveness. Give it to Jesus, and he'll be so blessed, so pleased. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the show today. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. See you tomorrow, Lord willing.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.